Ooh, now I'm so curious, you're driving me crazy. Hello, friends, and welcome to yet another episode of 119, a Twin Peaks podcast. As always, I am Nick. I'm here with Dylan. How are you, my friend? I'm doing all right, man. How you doing? I am doing excellent. And today we are here to talk about Twin Peaks The Return, part four. Brings back some memories. Uh, any general impressions of this episode you want to get out of the way? Um, I think that this one... It has a lot of it has ebbs and flows. Like it's not always, like it's not always. Hold on, that dog barking just totally fucked me up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. All right. It's all good. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. As an as an episode, I think that it kind of goes in a lot of different directions. Like it's it's one of the first ones we get that seems to I guess lack like a an, an individual identity as an episode. Like there's the certainly like the title moment with Bobby and there's a lot of heartstrings moments, but then we do get our first dose of slow Dougie, which um, it seems like that. Like, I don't know how much screen time that got, but it seems like it was a lot longer than the feel good mm-hmm. fuzzy twin peaks parts. Um, but o- overall, I think it was, it's like kind of our first real like development episode where we get a lot of, a lot of things start to sputter off in different directions. And uh for the most part, I enjoyed it. I think it's probably, you know, coming off the heels of episode three, it's a little bit, um, I don't know, tame, but not yeah. a bad episode by any means. Mm-hmm. No, not a bad episode at all. It's a little, it's a little scattered by comparison, I think, uh, to the last episode. There's a lot, of, like, we're just, we're just moving around quite a bit. This episode is odd in that it definitely, it has a lot of my absolute favorite stuff from the season but it also has some of my least favorite so i'm i'm probably going to come off uh a, as a little bit more of a, a negative nancy this episode than i than i will be normally throughout the season but um yeah like i said there's still there's still a, a ton to like about this um so yeah let's dive right into it part 4 brings back some memories i think about lewis and his friend Clark, the first Caucasians to see this part of the world. Their footsteps have been the highways and byways of my days on the road. My shadow is always with me, sometimes ahead, sometimes behind, sometimes to the left, sometimes to the right. Except on cloudy days. Or at night. So we pick up pretty much exactly where we left off in part three. At the Silver Mustang Casino. Where Dougie is just in the midst of just a a jackpot flurry. He is just, he wins... I forget how much they say he wins. What does he say? Isn't it like four hundred thousand dollars? I don't think like they or... say the number in this episode, but they say he's he's won twenty nine mega jackpots, and then he yeah. he tells the the old decrepit woman, and then they're like, oh, now it's thirty. So it's a lot of money. Yeah. It's a fat stack of cash. Yep, yep. And uh, 
yeah, like you mentioned, he he helps this older woman uh, win a jackpot by essentially just pointing at the machine that she should use. And this is really the first in of many instances in the show where Dougie is sort of inadvertently helping others like get material gain. It happens a few times in this episode and it just sort of keeps happening throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, I think it's also is it the first time you see Dougie smile when he notices that he does something he makes the woman happy. He he's very clearly smiling, which is uh, I suppose a uh, no, now we know like this is the good coop. Uh, this is mm-hmm. the this is that one. This is the one. This is the one from the old the old show. He's in there somewhere, <laughs> trying to do good. Dougie actually runs into some people that he knows, or at least the OG Dougie knows. Uh, here we get our only appearance of Bill and Candy Shaker. Once again, just <laughs> the double naming thing is out of control. Obviously, uh, we're going to meet Candy mm-hmm. in a little while here. But Bill, I mean, we already have William Hastings. Later on, we're going to meet the... Or I guess we never do meet, but we hear a lot about the elusive Billy, uh, who Audrey is obsessed with. Yep. They're really the first people to express any real concern about Dougie. You know, Jade obviously recognizes that something is wrong, but her reaction is one of more impatience, whereas Bill and Candy just have this look on their face of, like, what's going on here? Yeah, that's the the realest instance of, like, how I think people would react to Dougie. Uh, they're just sort of very uncomfortably staring at him, very uh, sort of cautious in, in, in their approach to him, and especially as he walks away, they're like, is he okay? Like, I don't think he's okay, but <laughs> they let him walk away, which is, I think is another important thing and a theme that we're going to like people do poke and prod at the weirdness that is Dougie Jones, but ultimately everyone just kind of shrugs their shoulders at the end of it and goes, well, well, okay, not our problem. Yep. Yep. It's yeah. It's, it's not their problem. They're just, they're not going to worry about Dougie. So yeah. Um, a couple Arthurian references here. Uh, Bill mentions that Dougie lives on Lancelot court near Merlin's market which is just like a weird uh which is just like a weird motif used throughout the season um i think even dating back to the original uh, seasons as well glastonbury grove and all that just yeah i don't i don't know how much significance there is to it but it's it's interesting nonetheless and then uh we get a really really i i think brilliantly funny scene between Dougie and the casino manager here. I love this scene as well. It's hilarious. (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, Yeah. Just this slays me every time. It's just like the deadpan bizarre standoff between these two is just absolutely hilarious. The way Kyle McLaughlin manages to like mirror image uh, with with just like the most um, like you said the deadpan but it's so like exact. It's so precise. And uh, uh, the the sweat on like the the manager's face in the back of his head, and you can tell like he's not sure what this guy's deal is. He's kind of terrified of him. Thinks maybe yeah. he's, thinks maybe he's into some deep shit. Just sort of wants to get him out the door and taken care of. And the fact that Dougie Jones is just like a duh, <laughs> but yeah, but, yeah, like, exactly. Oh my god, it's it's so funny. 
Yeah, th- I think what's what's so funny about this is that the, the the casino manager is just really reading in a ton of malicious intent right. into what Dougie is doing. Like, I think he's he's reading Dougie mirroring his movements as some sort of weird passive aggressive power move. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Which is, uh, it's just great. Love it. Um, so the manager, you know. He has sort of a, a vaguely uh, threatening exchange here with Dougie, letting him, letting him know that essentially they're going to be watching him if he ever shows up again. Uh, he asks Dougie where he lives, to which Dougie responds, uh, Lancelot, Lancelot Court, cab ride. And um, th- this kind of goes to show that Dougie doesn't quite always just respond with the last thing that someone said Mm -hmm. that's usually how it goes but it's not it's not exact like mission frost kind of have a little bit of fun with that like basically the things that dougie says just kind of meet the needs of the scene right he has triggers too like very noticeable ones where once you know someone says one thing and then it triggers an immediate response and we obviously see that again with like the spike uh just these sort of like innate latent uh responses that he has built into him but yeah, I see what you're saying about how, like, what he's going to say is just, like, what it needs to be for the scene. And I think it's almost, like, a, a matter of muddying the waters because it's – Dougie does often, or, or at least often enough, say things of sig- uh, significance, but he does also say complete jargon, like, nonsense. Mm-hmm. So um, sort of trying to – at least the first time around for me, trying to play that game of, like – what is what is Dougie? Uh, what is does Dougie mean anything? And if he does mean something, what is it? Uh, trying to like parse those from just like what is, what is just him saying some random shit that's tacked onto the end of a sentence. Yeah, it's hard to know the first time through exactly how much Dougie is aware of and exactly how much agency he has. But I think it becomes more and more clear as time goes on that he's just sort of like you know he's not really there. He's 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 an empty vessel. So yeah, so the limo driver, the limo driver takes Dougie home, and they're just kind of waiting outside his house, and uh, some owls fly overhead. Yes, in a very kind of choppy, uh, 1991-esque fashion. Yep, and this is just, you know, another fake out, another thing that makes people go, ooh, is that going to trigger... Cooper waking up, you know, that whole thing. There's uh, also a brief moment. I don't know if you noticed this uh, or if you're watching this with, with headphones or if you did. Uh, there's this weird happens a few times in this episode. And I think it happened throughout the series uh, when the limo driver goes around the, the car to open Dougie's door. Dougie's startled by it for a brief moment. But mm. as as he gasps, there is a very noticeable like high frequency uh, like audio squeal. Uh that happens again, I think, when you first meet Chad or sometime around that that uh, that scene. I don't I don't know what really? to make of it. Yeah, it reminded it reminded me of like in Mulholland Drive when the grandfather says something when they're leaving the airport and there's this very high pitched, uh, shrill like frequency that I at least in the case of Mulholland Drive like read that as like okay this person did something terrible to her or whatever but yeah I don't know hmm. that's a Lynchian thing uh, that I've noticed in a, a bunch of spots and in that moment where he kind of gasps at the limo driver there's this hiss this like <sighs> really uh, if you listen with headphones you'll hear it hmm I did not notice that 
That's fascinating. I'll have to take a look at that. This is our introduction to Naomi Watts as Janie E, the uh, great Naomi Watts. I love her so much. She is always fantastic. Was super happy to see that she was going to be a part of the series. Super happy to see her working with Lynch again. Yeah, as for as many like if for as large as this cast was, and for as many people like like we didn't even mention that Bill Shaker is Ethan Suple, who's just like a noticeable face. Like he's the sailboat guy in Mallrats. But there's a lot of these mm-hmm. these ac- actors and actresses like you had mentioned, I think last episode, uh, that are usually in bigger roles that just have these sort of bit parts. I was really happy to see that Naomi Watts was. Uh, you know, in the role of Janie E recurrent throughout the show because she's mm-hmm. especially in this role. She's just, she handles Dougie so well, better than anyone. Their interactions are among my favorites on the whole uh, return. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really like the way that her relationship with Dougie sort of evolves over the course of the season, because in this episode here and really throughout the first part of this season, she's very um, antagonistic towards him almost. Like, Mm -hmm. she's very angry at him a lot of the time. And one might assume that this is a result of a lot of the situations that the real Dougie Jones had put her in. You know, we know that Dougie had been in enormous debt, was in with these gangsters. She mentions that Dougie had been gone for, like, three days, I think, Right. prior to that. And we know that he was, you know, obviously with Jade, this prostitute, so... I think we can we can safely assume that Douglas Jones was not such a great father and husband and the way that Janie E reacts to Dougie in these initial episodes definitely reflects that but over the course of the series especially towards the end she she takes on more of a um more of like a protective like I'm going to stand by my man you know, mm-hmm. d- you know, Dougie, Dougie, maybe Dougie, but he's still my husband. Damn it! Yeah, you know? for all the wrong he does, and for all the faults he has, he does. You know, bring home all of that money, and he does eventually uh, thwart an att- assassination attempt with like cool moves. Yeah. and he lost a lot of weight. He's looking good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's reasons. Yeah, he's he's looking hot. Um, I don't know if you noticed the the grimace that that. Uh, I guess Dougie has when he's looking at the the sport coat that he has to like put on for the first time, just or or like I, it's Agent Cooper, just like grunt, like ugh, like th- like the dude had no style, and now he's like this this suave, slick, ass kicking mute. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think even Dougie recognizes how hideous that jacket is. Oh, it's gross. <laughs> it's it's it, it really is just like it really is just like a disgusting like rotten mustard color no that 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 no human being would actually wear or if they do you should avoid them at all costs they're certainly up to no good yeah and definitely maybe have the owl cave ring yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely um so yeah so uh welcome genie welcome naomi watts uh many great scenes to come from them from there we get our first and only scene with denise played by David Duchovny. Uh was really happy to see David Duchovny back. I did not I don't think I remembered that he was going to actually be in this season um when it when it happened, so it was like a really uh it was a really nice surprise to see him. Yeah, it's a nice little scene. Um I didn't know how much of it was there just to have, you know, a scene with with uh with Denise and with David Duchovny and have like cuz the 
episode is full of little throwbacks. Um, but among, uh, or, or if it was also to give us some exposition on Tammy and um, maybe uh, Gordon Cole's motivations for bringing her on the trip to South Dakota. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's also a weird little bit at the beginning of this scene that I just, I totally forgot existed where uh, Gordon Cole is talking to somebody with the FBI. I, I don't remember who. And he, and he asks him, uh, did Martha ever fix that thing with Paul? To which the guy responds, Paul is now in the North Pole. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's great. W- yeah, which is just like a little bit of the foreshadowing of like some of the bizarre name salad that's going to occur later this season yeah. especially in the roadhouse and with with audrey and and, and charlie like for, for some reason lynch really loves this idea of just like all these proper nouns being thrown around that we just have no context for yeah he does that i mean it's similar to like the congressman's dilemma it's like the, they just start this scene with a total non sequitur that give but it it gives you flavor you know it it yeah. adds, it's like you're getting, you know that you're not about to have a uh, a very like well i guess in that case you do end up having a very distressing meeting but it, yeah it, mm-hmm. you know, it gives you this sort of uh like i don't know there is in i thought found it interesting um how in twin peaks there's like this very clear sense of like the fbi as like the good guys and everyone's there like doing good work and um it it has this uh it's very television you know it's very like it's very i don't know how to put it it's it's tv you know it has this like the fbi is like a fun club and like a fun gang and like there's all these (laughs) awesome people and and now paul's at the north pole like who'd have thunk it so it's like I don't know. I like how I don't know. Maybe feel like I was on the inside a little bit. Yeah, you know, in, in real life, uh, I, I gotta say, I, I'm not a big fan of the FBI or uh, really any arm of the state. But uh, right, but somehow, somehow, Twin Peaks makes me feel like uh, the FBI are my friends. So. Yeah, it's actually I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. So it's it was an interesting jump. Even from like the first time I was watching, I was like, hmm, okay, he's an FBI agent. <laughs> when, when does the corrupt part happen? And I guess it yeah. does happen a lot <laughs> at least sure. in this season if we want to sure. count mr c sure um so yeah like basically this scene is just sort of gordon just running it by denise that he and tammy and albert are gonna go investigate this whole cooper situation right yeah more or less it, it's just a little exposition on on all of that with a fun friendly <laughs> dip into an old character yep and uh you know, I, I I like this scene well enough. It's um, it is kind of nice to uh to see Denise again, although it is it is kind of clear that another reason that this scene exists is really just um, it's it's a bit of self congratulation I think on Frost and Lynch's part just to sort of say like, hey, you know, we had uh a positive depiction of a trans character on our show in the early nineties. Right. When that wasn't really a common thing at all. Yeah. Um, and I, I think when you have an 18 part epic with hours, like, you know, each episode is like an hour with all of this room. I, I, and I like that there are these little, just sort of brief encapsulated moments in, or just like maybe statements or like unambiguous, uh, statements to like the one where you have at the R and R with, uh, with, when they're talking about you know changing the recipe for the pies you do get these sort of 
um, like all in one little just statement. So that I think add to the show and, and don't really take away from the drama in any way. Yeah. And I think the lasting legacy of this scene is Gordon's line here about, I told all your colleagues, those clown comics to fix their hearts or die. Yep. That's like, you know, I've, I've seen that phrase being bandied about a little bit online, like fix their hearts or die. Same. Um, I think it's a great sentiment and I think it, it fits with the overall theme of the show and uh, <clears throat> given when it was released and, and, and just like the, the era that we were living through, it's, it's an important thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoy the scene. Like I said, it's a little, you know, it's a little, little back patty perhaps, but um, the- I, I still, I still really enjoy the scene and seeing David Duchovny come back again. The hormones line made me cringe yeah. a little bit, <laughs> a little cringy. <sighs> Yeah, I was going to bring that up. You know, Denise, she mentions that she has screaming hormones and then Lynch sort of does a little, he like sort of flinches or like makes a, he like makes a face. Yeah. Like he doesn't want to hear about it. It's not great. It's interesting Um, enough. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, look, Lynch, you know, as, as forward thinking as he can be, he is still a 70 year old man. And he will remind you of that at times, uh, <laughs> even later in this episode, as oh, we'll yeah. talk about. I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, yep. Um, so yeah, that's just that's a reality that we all have to live with. Although, um, you know, another interpretation that I I've heard of this of this bit here with the screaming hormones, and I I, uh, I heard this from uh, from Joel Baco on his podcast, which is that he, he suspected that maybe it was uh, just another joke about Gordon's hearing. Like when she says my screaming hormones, he like raises his hand, like don't like no screaming. You know oh, what I mean? Right. It could. You I know, mean, cause, yeah. You know, Cause then she apologizes. She's like, Oh, sorry. Yeah. You know? That's the only thing about it is her reaction. Uh, uh, being one of like, Oh, that's right. Like she, like she remembered something. Uh, so maybe it was the word screaming. I didn't read too much into yeah. it. Like I didn't think it was necessarily offensive. I just I thought it was just cringy. Like just the the I don't know the execution of it. Yeah, it's a little clumsy. I don't, I don't really know. It's yeah. I, I don't really know exactly what they're going for. But um, yeah. Re- regardless, it's still it's still a a good scene in my opinion. I agree. A scene that I don't think is good. Oh, I, <laughs> yep. I knew this was coming. Is the next scene. Which is this whole gag with Lucy not knowing what cell phones are. Uh, I think I mentioned a little bit last episode how I wasn't a fan of just how stupid Lucy is in this season. And this is really the culmination of that. I, I This to me is just like, I don't know. This is just like pooping all over Lucy in my opinion. Yeah, it go it like most things it ends up going a few steps like too far with the gag uh whereas like if she had just screamed when he walked in the door and then that was sort of the end of it i think it might have landed but andy counseling her and her being like shook afterwards and just the whole i hate cellular phone line (laughs) like it's just I, I don't know, but like watching it the second time around, it's way more noticeable how ham-fisted it is, and I don't want to be one of those David Lynch people that is going to tell you that there is like 
some esoteric reason like no this is because this is the unofficial version so they're all acting strange <laughs> and uncharacteristic and it's commentary on your expectations for the finale or for the return and it's like it might be any of those things but it it is now at least maybe maybe you just poisoned my mind but it is getting on my nerves a little bit as well now because it's not it's not like i liked the character of lucy in the, in the original run she's she's actually kind of smart she's sharp she takes the, she takes the notes down uh when, or i forget what she does she uh was it jack jacques renault or something like that she pretends to be taking notes but she writes down his name or their some phone number in the original run she does a lot of things like that and obviously ultimately mm-hmm. ultimately in the season proves to be like a huge asset so seeing her just be a complete tool bag uh relentlessly is a little bit much yeah, you mentioned that scene with with Andy sort of counseling her like they're mobile, you know, yeah. just like she she just has this thousand yard stare, like she's haunted by the idea of cell phones, and Andy sort of alludes to the fact that they've had this conversation over and over again. It's like, oh, come on, guys, like she really was not this dumb in the original series, you know. And like like I said, I'm not at all opposed to characterizations that differ from the original run but i think that this was like just a it was a step too far in my opinion and like i get that the cell phone bit ultimately does pay off in part 17 i just don't i don't think it was necessary yeah like i think like it could have landed i think if it didn't uh if it didn't stew in the punchline for a million years just get it on it really is it. belabored it's very belabored yep which sure maybe yeah. maybe that's the point, but uh, hey, I guess it's lost on me, and apparently you too. <sighs> yep. Um, so yeah, sticking around in the sheriff station, uh, we get our first glimpse of policeman Bobby Briggs. I love the shot, the introductory shot that it just kind of pulls yep. across the hallway into his face. It's awesome. Yeah, and like he he's his back is to the camera at first. Mm-hmm. And then it pulls in with Truman, and then Bobby turns around, and I'm sure everybody watching at home was just like, <gasps> "Yep, I know, I sure was." <sighs> yep, absolutely. Truman asks him a little bit about some of the um, what does he ask? He, he talks to him about like some of the drugs, some of the drug roots. He says, "Yeah, there." He, he's pretty much certain that it's Chinese designer drugs again, and he's asking right. him about the roots that he's watching up from Canada. Right, Which, and uh, as as we know, Bobby knows a thing or two about the uh, the drug trade. Yeah, and there's there's this little moment where he's like, if there was anyone coming down from Canada, I would have saw him. And Sheriff Truman mm-hmm. says, well, any of the spots that you know. And Bobby does this thing kind of like, right, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I thought it was silently alluding to the fact that like we're supposed to know. Yeah, of course he knows those routes. He used to run them often. Yeah, it was a popular theory for a while that Bobby was sort of like secretly a dirty cop and that he was helping the drug route here, oh. especially because uh, his, his immediate reaction right after that is to make this really weird joke where he says, uh, what does he say? He says, I got to take a leak so bad. My back teeth are floating. Yeah. And then he just very quickly hurries off. Yeah. Which is like, that which is-, is like, wow that was that that was abrupt it's so funny it's just like as soon as he is introduced he's just like i gotta take a piss and then just runs away which i thought has always been a i don't know i think that's been a a uh 
for me, like a positive mark on fiction is when the character, you sort of catch the character when they're just doing something that you believe they would have been doing anyway. Like I've had that moment so bad where I'm walking into the bathroom and then someone stops me and, and is telling me something like pretty important. And I'm like, dude, hold one, literally just one second. <laughs> I just want to like, <laughs> sprint away. So I identified with Bobby Briggs in that moment. Yep. And uh, I got to say, I, I really like what they did with Bobby Briggs. I think, like, out of all of the old Twin Peaks characters, I think I enjoyed his evolution maybe the most. And uh, we'll, we'll talk a lot about that as the season progresses. Yeah. For now, he walks into the evidence room. He sees the photo of Laura and just immediately starts sobbing. Um... Look, I know many people were very moved by this scene. I don't like it at all. Really? I think it's... No, I, I just... I don't think it's... It's so abrupt and it's so unearned that it actually has the feeling of, like, unintentional comedy to me. Like, it's just... It comes out of nowhere. <laughs> it was... And, like, we even see these shots of like Truman and Hawk just like looking at Bobby just like perfectly still like in bafflement as he's just like weeping openly yeah and like I just it just with the music and everything it just it felt a little bit more like a forced moment than like a real emotional reaction to me but again I know that there are people who disagree I mean if we had had more than five seconds with the character of Bobby Briggs throughout the like return and then had that moment i think it may have been a lot more powerful Mm -hmm. personally i like it i liked the whole i loved the use of the music i thought that the the emo the level of emotion that he depicted was certainly a little over the top but we're coming off the heels of the cell phone bit and like chad and andy's little like spackle in there weird and so I was relieved to be done with that. And then also I'm a sucker, I guess. <laughs> and I love that picture of like the homecoming photo of Laura Palmer. Like I love the iconography of it and like the use of that music. And I was still, I think the first time I saw it, I was still like very just like stoked to see Bobby and like stoked that he was a cop. And there was a lot of positive vibes going on. And I, think i was at the time way more receptive to the feel goody twin peaks because uh you know part three is so uh visceral and 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 i loved it and so i felt like this like really kind of ridiculous over the top camp was par for the course and i didn't really bat an eyelash at it um my roommate loved it my roommate was like all emotional he was bobby yeah, a lot of people were. And, like, I like the idea of Bobby getting emotional about Laura. But, again, just the, the way that this was executed just didn't really didn't really leave an impact for me. Like, I imagine if maybe he walked in, saw Laura's photo, and was sort of surprised by it. And then they have their little meeting, and everybody walks out, and he just stays there. And then he sort of has a little private breakdown. Yeah. I feel like that that might have made a little bit more emotional sense to me but you know as it is it's uh i don't love it the episode um, itself is pretty scattershot so like 
yeah, this one, this this moment, I do agree. It's random. It's abrupt. It is somewhat of no consequence. Um, so it, it it is really just for those hard strings. If they if they if it tugs on them for you, it works. If it doesn't, it's just a, a waste of a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. So the other noteworthy thing about this scene is Chad, Deputy Chad, classic who, Chad, John Piricello playing Deputy Chad, just just a great TV dickhead. You kind of know he's a dick before you he says anything. You just see, his, yeah, he's got that face that's that that he's got his eyes kind of like half open. He's just you can tell he's up to no good. Yeah, he definitely has a mouth breather vibe. Oh, big time, you know? big time. And uh, I love, you know, what better way to get him on Twin Peaks fans' bad side than just to have him openly mock the log lady, you know? Yeah, like he... exactly. <laughs> you know, because they mentioned that she gets messages from her log, and he, he mentioned something about her, like, being banned from there or something like that. Well, she... He... And that... Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. What are you going to say? I was going to just finish that idea, but he was banned because of the... Or she was banned because of sticking gum under the chairs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I and think. then they they, uh, <laughs> they they say that she gets messages from her log, and then he's like, "Oh, Pinocchio's friend." Yeah, and then they basically just tell him to get the fuck out, and he's like, "I'm gonna go have a word with my pine cone," uh, which is like actually like legit funny. I like it. It is funny, um, and, and Andy keeps looking over at Sheriff Truman like <laughs> with this look of like, "Aren't you gonna do anything?" <laughs> which is just. <laughs> I, I love Andy. Like, just the, the character of Andy cracks me up. He's, he's so goofy. Mm-hmm. So just those, his face is beat red, and he just keeps darting these looks over at Sheriff Truman, like, like please, say something. Yep. Chad, very hateable. Uh, really into it. Oh, boy. And then. And then. The crown jewel of this episode. Before we even get to him, what's up with the the cop's stance when he walks into the room? He just puts his hands on his hips and like leans forward before he says anything for a few seconds. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like <laughs> like who is this dude? Like we've met so many weird cops. It's like what's this one going to be like? <laughs> yeah, so I, I actually forget the name of this cop because um, he's really not important and he doesn't do that much. The only other notable scene with him that I can remember is when he like he pops his head into the uh the evidence room at one point i forget which episode it is but he's like i think he he tells uh he asked true it's either truman or hawk he asked him he's like hey uh uh you you want to see my new car <laughs> i don't know they're just like either yeah they're just like uh nope and he's like all right and then he just <laughs> and then he just closes the door and that's like that's like the only other notable moment with with that cop that i can think of it's just i, I don't know that guy's two for know. two in my book yeah, I, I have no answers for that guy. So yeah, let's uh let's stop beating around the bush here and talk about Wally fucking Brando for a second. Uh, just standing ovation for this all around. It's it's. I, 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 well, I, I, saw don't, that, I don't know what else to say about I it. I saw that Michael Sarah was going to be on this. I was like, how are they going to use him? And <laughs> mm-hmm. holy shit. <laughs> Yeah, and a lot of people actually guessed correctly that he would be Andy and Lucy's son. So, um, yeah, those people are highly, people. highly perceptive because it is like perfect. We, I think we've talked about it before, but it's just, oh yeah, it is absolutely nail on the head. Yeah, and this whole scene here, this whole monologue, 
is just like such a such a brilliant like high wire comedy act in my opinion like it really is just writing that fine line between just high concept comedy and utter nonsense it has almost like a like a tim and eric-esque feel to it in my opinion it does and it it has that like a lot of the a lot of the punchlines are nonverbal. Like throughout his monologue, there will just be shots of Sheriff Truman's stoic face, <laughs> which I read yeah. as punchlines. Is <laughs> just like, yeah, isn't this ridiculous? Isn't yeah? Ridiculous? No, that's <laughs> a, to me. That's actually the secret of why this scene works super well. Is that it's actually very well edited. Like the cutaways to Truman are perfectly timed, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, absolutely. and. Yeah, like I Truman is everybody watching this for the first time. It's <laughs> yeah. just like just like uh okay. <laughs> so did he I don't know if you would be able to tell but uh did Michael Sarah have like the little gauze or like cotton stuffed into his like cheeks like the like Marlon Brando does in Godfather? Oh, I don't know. It's, it's not, not. He's not. He's not imitating uh, Marlon Brando from The Godfather per se. No, I knew that. Uh, but he sounds yeah. to have that like sort of like slur. And I was looking at the corners of his mouth, uh, and it looked <laughs> like he had. I don't know if that was just something he was he, trying to get his voice like him. He, he does have this little like this little lisp thing yeah. going on. Yeah. Like like he's talking about um, he's talking about letting his parents do what they want to with his childhood bedroom, and he's like, they want to build a study. Yeah. <laughs> just that, that little list for the, the study I think that was the exact and, uh, moment I noticed yeah and also I just love uh, Andy and Lucy just looking on with unyielding pride at their son like they're, they're just like in the glow of Wally Brando like, they are just so unbelievably proud of the of their son yeah the, it's great. the final shot with Lucy kicking her leg back or kicking her leg up uh, while she's hugging them it's just like an exclamation point at the end mm-hmm. uh, but yeah really well edited I think that is like the, the outstanding statement about that scene is it, it could have been like this one like dry long shot on Wally Brando but um, the cuts are just perfect yep absolutely and um, his monologue here is actually really good there are actually some lines here that are like halfway poetic that I've written down here that I actually really enjoy Um, he says I've crisscrossed this great land of ours countless times I hold the map of it here in my hang on let me wait till this fucking I kind of liked it I kind of liked with all the cops in the background (laughs) wait till the fucking cops and then I'll just I'll start again here yeah don't worry okay he says I've crisscrossed this great land of ours countless times I hold the map of it here in my heart, next to the joyful memories of the carefree days I spent as a boy here in your beautiful town of Twin Peaks. From Alexandria, Virginia to Stockton, California, I think about Lewis and his friend Clark, the first Caucasians to see this part of the world. Their footsteps have been the highways and byways of my days on the road. My shadow is always with me. It's like... It's totally ridiculous, but at the same time, it's like kind of poetic. It is. It's. It, I've seen that on on Twitter and like Facebook, toted around. And I, my favorite part's the ending, where it's like my shadow is sometimes to my you know to uh, in front of <laughs> sometimes me, sometimes ahead, me. sometimes behind, yeah. sometimes to the left, sometimes to the right, except on cloudy days or at night. Which is just beautiful. Um, stuck the landing perfectly. 
Yeah, and then what does he say to Truman? He says, uh, my dharma is the road. Your dharma... And then he just sort of gestures broadly. Yes, yeah. And in Truman's, like, parting words, uh, may the road rise to meet your wheels. <laughs> and yep. he's just like, oh, beautiful turn of phrase. Thank you. <laughs> I checked to see if that's, like, like where he borrowed that phrase from. Mm. And it's, like, sort of a, a loose variation on, um, like, an ancient Celtic phrase, which is, like, it's a... May the road rise up to meet you. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Sheriff Truman pulling out some deep cuts there. So, yeah. Wally. This is all we get from Wally Brando, sadly. Uh, I very much am looking forward to Twin Peaks Season 4, The Wally Brando Chronicles. Yep. Um, The one-man show. Yep. Can't wait. So, yeah. Goodbye, Michael Sarah. Uh... You were you were with us not nearly long enough. I would love to see him work with David Lynch more in the future. Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, then we head back to Las Vegas, where we see Dougie in his really gross green jacket, just as, looking as at it, and just like Ugh. yeah, yeah, just in utter disgust. And this is the first instance we see of Mike showing up in chairs. It's a recurring thing that happens. Uh, Mike sort of becomes superimposed over a chair in the red room. He tells Dougie, uh, you were tricked. And he holds up the the golden ball that we would later uh, hear referred to as the seed. He says, now one of you must die. Which, I don't... Do they? Must one of them die? Well, I, I assumed for one of them to return to the lodge, one of, the other one has to die. I guess at this because the tulpa returned, and, right, and then turned back into a seed. So, I guess I don't know. I, I <laughs> there's a whole lot of things that I thought were the case that sort of aren't. You know, like like yeah. there's a lot of rules you think are rules, and then all of a sudden, fucking Mike shows up in a chair. Yeah, and tells you that. Yeah. Like, now one of you must die. Is that, like... Like, why? Like, for for, for what? I, <laughs> like, for what to happen? I don't really understand. My presumption is that, like, since they're both out... Like, I don't know. They're both the same person, I guess, technically. So maybe it's gonna... It's, like, dividing by zero. It's gonna cause a glitch in the Matrix. Or maybe it's yeah. one of them must die in order for the other one to return to the Lodge. Or maybe it has something to do with the plan. Uh, whatever that hmm. may be, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't really get this. I've, I've thought about this, but I don't. I don't fully understand it. I get you were uh, tricked. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. That that uh, part enough makes sense. What what is not clear to me is, um, obviously like the origins of the Dougie Tulpa, and I don't know. I don't know if that's expanded upon in the final dossier or not. I don't necessarily invest no. a million you know all the stock in the world in that but no but i assume it has something i don't know the only part that's confusing is like i know that there was a trick obviously but how was cooper exactly tricked unless it was just he's the you know he's the one who was the most affected by the trick the trick obviously yeah, I mean, being not he probably he probably didn't anticipate being like in his zombie like state you know yes. because we we do know that Cooper is like he is inside Dougie somewhere. You know, like when he wakes up, 
he does he knows exactly what's going on right and he remembers Janie e he remembers everything that's happening uh while he was inside dougie so you know maybe it's like sort of um it's like have you ever seen like being john malkovich where i have not at the end at the end it's like okay well i, I won't spoil it but okay <laughs> there's like there's <laughs> there's like a uh sort of a similar situation that that happens there okay but but yeah i don't know like i get the idea that um having both cooper and the doppelganger in the same plane of reality might be distressing um you know sort of like a you know it's just sort of like a perversion of of reality but i don't don't know what one of them dying i don't don't know i don't know because when one of them does die when one of them does die it doesn't necessarily trigger the events of the ending like that's no because Co- yeah because the doppelganger does die yeah. and he has the alcave ring right and he does get transported back to the lodge but like i don't know why mike is so invested in that happening i guess it's odd it's it's i i think one consistent one consistent theme uh for for this podcast is that we don't really know what mike wants it's very even dating back to the original series, it's always been very difficult to track Mike's motivations. I think. Yeah, Mike is the probably the greatest character because, at, like, on certain times he's depicted as Bob's right hand man, but then other times he's clearly working with Cooper on one side while also simultaneously working against him on the other side. Like in the case of should you know should Lara wear the ring or not? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, very one of my favorite characters i will say and he's another one that i'm i'm very happy that he's such a major part of of season three yeah i I love el strobel i think he's great all right so we get a sort of a a minor callback to the season two finale with the the mirror shot you know cooper is in his his blue pajamas still and he's got his face up against the mirror i think clearly we're supposed to think about the final moments of, of season two that's what i did right there. yeah mm-hmm. and then uh just a, a very very cute and funny scene here with sunny jim where sunny jim just kind of gives him the th- the classic thumbs up and then yeah. cooper gives him the thumbs up back and then uh and then turns around to face in the exact same direction yeah it was uh which is good. There's there's another moment later on where something similar happens with his boss Bushnell Mullins, where it's it's actually one of my favorite Dougie moments where uh, Bushnell holds out his hand to shake Dougie's hand, and Dougie he he holds out his hand, but then he just he faces the exact same direction, <laughs> and Bushnell just has this total look of befuddlement. Oh, uh, that's so good. It's a good. It's a great move, and uh, so we move into this breakfast scene here, and it's worth noting that. During this whole sequence, Sonny Jim is just having a ball. He's cheesing, dude. Yeah. He's he, loving it. He, he thinks his dad is just hilarious with the tie on his head. and He's he's just... He, he thinks that Dougie Jones is the funniest thing. He's not wrong. I'm on Sonny no. Jim's side. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Sonny Jim is us. And the whole scene is set to... Uh, the famous Dave Brubeck track Take 5 mm-hmm. which is really the first of a lot of really oddly obvious choices 
I thought the same thing in this show. I, yeah, I was. It's like a, I don't know, on the nose. <laughs> you couldn't have picked Blue Rondo, a la Turk, David Lynch. That was too obscure for you. <laughs> yeah, he, I don't think Lynch is too interested in the deep cuts here. Like we get take five. Um, the famous sweeping scene is set to uh, Green, Green onions. onions. Yeah, you know, like we get that. Uh, we get leaving Las Vegas a little bit later. Um, yeah, just for all the the very non obvious perhaps non-intuitive choices that david lynch makes as a filmmaker it's really surprising to me the fact that he just he he played the hits as far as the music goes in this show yeah i mean i do think that take five works really well with this scene um yeah it's off kilter it's you you get the climax of the scene sort of around the climax of of joe morello's drum solo which is one of my favorite drum solos ever and mm-hmm. it 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 works, but I I remember really just here like hearing the first like bar of the tune and I'm like oh take five really like that's what <laughs> and then he it it's most of take five it 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 goes like for maybe another uh, minute after the scene cuts like it plays the vast majority of the whole tune um, yeah you're right and we we do we get the whole drum solo bit and everything they just they just just kind of lets it play out here I think I think it it does work really well yeah I mean I I I've heard that. Song like that song so many times that like mm-hmm. hearing the the clarinet solo, uh, but seeing it set to to Twin Peaks, it was just and especially this scene too of just like Dougie having a ball. I mean, uh, Sunny Jim having a ball, and the the camera almost like circles throughout, uh, like from character to character. Like it's it's on Janie E, then it's on Sunny Jim, then it's on Cooper, then it's back and forth, back and forth. It had this really cool kind of circular feel to it which i think that that song has a lot it has kind of a circular feel to it like the the five four time it's all sort of like spins you around i don't know i i thought it 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 worked really really well for what it was um and then there's the the great coffee bit as well (laughs) yep yep i just gotta say um the i am dougie's coffee mug oh dude um, (laughs) killed me that's that that's that's the merch i want that's that's the good shit. I just want you to that mug. Here's your coffee, Dougie. It puts it down. I am Dougie's coffee, <laughs> and I sound yep. like this. Mm-hmm. And I, I will admit, this is this really because it coincides like with sort of the climax of the song. I really did think that this was going to be where Cooper was going to wake up. This like, was the first major psych out, yeah, for me yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, the coffee, that has to be the thing. Like, that's going to be the thing that wakes him up. Mm-hmm, definitely. You thought, for sure. And then when it's not, um, you're like, okay, we just need some apple pie, and then... Okay. <laughs> yeah, or some cherry pie. Cherry pie, excuse uh, me. Dylan, please. I know, um, I, should just, I should take a walk. <laughs> well, yeah, um, yeah, he takes a sip, and uh, it's... I guess he spits it out because it, I guess it's too hot maybe, or maybe he's just so overcome with uh, the deliciousness of it that he, he just, his body just can't even, can't even take it. Yeah. I read it as a, that it was too hot. I don't know if it's the sound of like the liquid hitting the floor, but it sounds like there's almost mm-hmm. like a sear uh, mm-hmm. of like heat, but either way uh, he's cheesing dude. Even if it burned his mouth, he's, he's loving it. He says hi, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. maybe his first like, just response uh like yeah which has nothing to do just hi <laughs> it's the first time he does that mm-hmm. yeah some people think he's trying to say hot also oh. um 
Which, I don't know, it sounds to me like he's trying to say hi. He's smiling. Uh, yeah, but, again, just another instance of Kyle McLaughlin just going for it. You know, just the absolute goofiest thing possible. Oh my god, yeah. This yeah. His his range throughout this show, it's like you can't even... My brain doesn't process it as one person. It really doesn't. Like I, Yeah, yeah. It, like, some of the goofiest Dougie stuff is in this episode. Like, I... Like, when I watch the scene that we were talking about earlier with the casino manager, I can just imagine, like, how difficult it must have been for both of them to keep it together during that scene. I know, like, between cuts and, like, having to go back to being a normal person and then, okay, action. (laughs) Yeah, that was actually uh, one thing that I wanted to see from the the Blu-ray behind-the-scenes stuff that we didn't actually get too much of was... Kyle McLaughlin as Dougie, or really Kyle McLaughlin in general. There's like there's like eight hours of behind the scenes footage there, and there's pretty shockingly little Kyle McLaughlin. It's 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 very weird. I I really wanted to see just moments of Lynch yelling cut and Kyle just like cracking up or something. Yeah, I'm I'm sure I'm sure it must have happened a bunch. Who knows why what why they choose what they choose to include on those things or who makes the decisions or what. I, I, yeah. I'm like fairly like green with all that stuff. I don't watch a lot of behind the scenes, mm-hmm. um, but maybe I this is, this is honestly, yeah, no, honestly, this is some of the best behind the scenes stuff I've ever seen. Like it is really, really good. And it just really gives you a lot of insight into, um, why people enjoy working with Lynch. Mm-hmm. And it's just fascinating to see him in, problem solver mode yeah you know I where he's that. like just deal just dealing with the practicalities of you know we see him making props by hand and just sort of dealing with the the realities of the of the production which by all accounts was um very rushed mm-hmm. and you know they didn't have a ton of money and it just um you know it didn't it didn't ruin the magic for me at all in, in fact it, it kind of just made me uh, have a greater appreciation for for what it is that they were able to accomplish. Um, so yeah, it sounds it sounds cool. I, I I've I'm a big like process person. Like I I I love like you like developing my own process for problem solving. So seeing someone as enigmatic as David Lynch in action uh, sounds really cool. So maybe I'll check it out. Yeah, so the the car ride with Albert and Gordon and Tammy. Uh, really classic bit right here at the beginning where, uh, Gordon very upset that they are nowhere near Mount Rushmore. (laughs) And so Albert anticipating Gordon's unhappiness here produces a large photograph of (laughs) Mount Rushmore. (laughs) Yep. He had, and... Gordon is just immensely satisfied by this. He takes it and he's just like, there they are, Albert. Faces of stone. <laughs> Can you explain to me why it's so funny? Like, it, it just is. Like, I, I laughed so hard the first time I heard it. It's it's just, I think, it's it's a few things. It's, it's A, the idea that Gordon is just dead set on seeing Mount Rushmore. Like just really has his heart set on it. <laughs> yeah. That that alone is funny. That's a good detail. And then just the fact that Albert knows that Gordon is gonna want to see Mount Rushmore 
So he just has <laughs> this photo on hand. It like, works. he just pulls it out. He just pulls it out. That's brilliant. And then also just the fact that Gordon is like, yep, this is all I needed. <laughs> Faces of stone. <laughs> it's like... Faces of stone. That's exactly what they are. Like, <laughs> it's... that's It's true. Unambiguous. Oh, man. So funny. That is factual. That is, in, that is the truth. He is, I think, above all else to me, funny. David Lynch is funny. He always makes me laugh. I don't know how he does he's, it. He's great. He he has a lot of fun as Gordon Cole. He really does. Mm. Like he has some. Like he really does have some quality. Like capital A acting moments. Um, even later in this episode. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I just I just love the abject silliness of Gordon Cole at times, and um. We get a little bit more of that here with this whole car sick bit. Yeah. Uh, we see Tammy get car sick, and the entire reason Tammy gets car sick is so that they can make this little Cossacks joke. Right. Where Albert, where, where Albert says, Yeah, Tammy gets car sick. And then Gordon goes, Albert, we're in South Dakota. Cossacks are in Russia. <laughs> and then Albert yells, Car sick! And the driver, like, swerves. I don't know. It's just a really silly bit. Yeah. This is totally the, silly. The like, lack of there's, I just I love it because there's no reason for Tammy to be carsick other than just making this Cossacks joke. Right. Like, it doesn't come up it, again. It's just, it's all just a setup for this really, really stupid joke. The joke is, like it has no context it's like he would <laughs> they were just talking about her being like like what's wrong with tammy she's car sick why would albert you mention the cossack like it's just it's so it's another example of him just like just pulling the punchline in a friggin' like radio flyer two miles an hour down hey everybody here's the punchline uh sometimes it really fucking works like in that moment um it's excellent yeah yeah yeah, I, I I love this moment. It just it brings me joy. So they're on their way to meet Mr. C in the jail in South Dakota. And we get an amazingly creepy scene here with Mr. C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like... Like, just the way that Kyle MacLachlan's face looks... Like, the lighting in this scene is really impeccable, I think. Um, it just makes his face look, like, utterly... What's the word I'm looking for here? Just, like, w- without any humanity whatsoever. Yeah, he's a vessel. Um, and it, he he clearly appears to be imitating one's expectations of uh, how he should act. Like, he gives a thumbs up. Um, which I thought was excellent juxtaposition to the very wholesome Sunny Jim thumbs up scene that we get. Uh, now we now we have this other one, which is just exceptionally uh, like creepy, like you said. But it even from the mugshot, um, you sort of start. That's when it sets the scene a little bit, uh, and then like the the pan to the mugshot, like as they all walk out of the room toward the interrogation. Mister C is just demeanor in this whole scene it's like okay some like something is up and and there's like a very cool and very uh off-putting hum uh in 
like that just sort of grows and grows as the tension builds throughout the scene. Um, but just like excellent Lynchian sound editing. It's, it, it makes you feel almost like, like staring at Mr. C is a lot like, it's like the uncanny Valley, which I thought was amazing. Like in the, a few episodes from now when, when he looks in the mirror and sees Bob, uh, as it slowly morphs, there's this like, he's, he is like, you're saying not quite a person, but he has all of the qual Like it ticks all the boxes, but there's some intangible quality to him that is otherworldly. Um, and the exuberance that like, or I guess the excitement that Gordon Cole expresses when he finds out he's about to go meet Cooper and then how it, culminates in this this slow rise of like that shutter uh into just like you're saying the lighting and just seeing him sitting there uh hands bound it's 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 creepy that's the good word that's the one word that really describes it it's creepy as fuck mm-hmm. yeah mr c's attempt to mimic cooper here is just very bizarre here with the with the thumbs up like you mentioned and there's something about Mr. C in this scene where it's like he's short-circuiting somehow. Mm-hmm. Like, he he has the line, you know, it's it's very eerie good to see you again, old friend, where the second very is said backwards. And then he... His voice is like several... Is like several steps lower, it sounds like. Like yeah. he sounds, he sounds chopped and screwed the way that he's talking. Well, his voice and doesn't sound any. Yeah. That was like the big thing to me. His voice is not at all what your ears, um, like it's, it's subtle. It's a subtle difference, but it's not mm-hmm. Agent Cooper's voice or even Mr. C. Yeah. Voice. And he's talking very slowly. He repeats his story about losing control of his car and driving off the road. Yes. Like he says the same couple sentences twice. To which Gordon and Albert are sort of, we, we cut back to them and they don't really react, but we, we get the sense that they're like internally very weirded out by the whole thing. Yeah, he says it, um, he says it with a, a, a different emphasis the second time. And I was like at first trying to wonder if that was supposed to be any sort of clue, but I mean, I don't think so. And, but it's not the first time that we've had, uh, like Lucy repeats herself. And I think in episode two, um, there's a few instances throughout the season where characters will just word for word repeat their line. The three of them go outside to, you know, reconvene and and talk about the uh, obvious weirdness of what they've just seen. And there's a very strange day for night effect that's going on here. The scene was very obviously filmed in the broad daylight, and it has this blue tint to it to try to make it look like it's it's night. Uh, it's not not the most convincing effect, but I do kind of enjoy it nonetheless. I like it. It's pretty neat. It um, it hits on a, just a thing that I've been noticing a lot about like aesthetics that I like. It has lucid dream feel, which I don't know if you've ever had mm-hmm. a lucid dream, um, mm-hmm. but for me, I went through like this weird period when I was, I don't know, 23, where for about two weeks, I had a very vivid, intense, like interactive lucid dream every night. And I started like writing them down and they all had that sort of like, you couldn't really tell if it was daytime or nighttime. It was a blue tint. Uh, and there was this almost like, I don't know, 
almost like a very like a very fine strobe like not a strobe that you might would even really notice um which i don't know i get that from a lot of lynchian stuff which maybe is why i'm so into it and um but i don't know if that like if the day for night thing do you think that was just like a choice that they made like they wanted it this scene to be at nighttime so they tried to make it look like nighttime or did you do you think that there's like some sort of a i don't know artistic design to like the tint because it, it felt like uh, fitting for me yeah i think i think the effect works but i also think that they did originally want this scene to be at night uh-huh. and they probably just due to the constraints of the production just had to film it during the day right and i mean there's you how know. many examples are there of really cool stylistic things in film that were really only that way because of uh like budgets or or choices that people had to make that ended up being really cool and iconic so for what it's worth i liked it yeah exactly you know necessity is the mother of invention hell yes so this scene um i mentioned earlier that this episode has like a lot of my favorite stuff and a lot of my least favorite stuff this scene outside here is kind of a microcosm of that because I think it's really annoying the way that they treat Tammy in this scene here. Like yeah. she's ostensibly, she's ostensibly one of them. She just saw what they saw this very, you know, creepy, almost obviously supernatural being. And instead of including her on in the conversation, they just sort of sent her away. I get that she's she's not part of the Blue Rose Task Force now or whatever, but I just the way that they're so condescending to her, I just think is annoying. And I just I think that they really missed an opportunity with Tammy to have this very like strong, capable female FBI agent. David Lynch gets a lot of shit for having women who are just sort of like you know victims or Mm -hmm. don't really get to be in positions of power in his work and i felt i felt like with tammy they they just they missed an opportunity to counteract that narrative here and it isn't helped at all by the fact that once they send her away david lynch decides to just zoom up right on her ass Mm -hmm. as she's walking away and Albert has this line like, oh, I'm feeling better now. Why? <laughs> yeah. Why? I, I Why? don't know. I, I, you know, the, the body positive side of me wants to be like, well, she's extremely beautiful. Uh, Albert would certainly be attracted to her. There's right, nothing inherently so, wrong with that. But I it's yeah. so it's so out of place. It's just such a needless little bit of objectification there. Yeah. From some from somebody who is like ostensibly their equal, you know. Well, like is like has presented itself as a theme with this episode. There's a whole lot of like gobbledygook. There's a lot of uh like it's it's a soupy episode, like you're saying. There's there's moments that you love and moments that you hate sort of smashed together. Um mm-hmm. and I think that this is one of them. One of the I mean not that I like even feel like there's again because it's it's not like it's egregious like it's very it's a very like obvious uh like just allusion to the fact that she's you know beautiful and but I her like character is this like really like excellent FBI agent and she's brought like there, there's like a whole scene devoted to like Gordon Cole 
expressing that he wants her to be on the trip not because she's a young beautiful woman but because she's a great FBI agent um, and then it all it's just like why would you go out of your way to do that and then also go out of your way to have these like this just like one second of these two old dudes being just two old dudes just to go right back into like stuff that we really care about it's like this moment that like you're saying is completely unnecessary actually probably is detrimental to the overall characterization of Tammy and then it's just like moved on from right away and we have this like very uh important meaningful conversation between Gordon and uh Albert so I I definitely agree with you it was it I don't think it was like inherently awful or sexist necessarily but it was definitely uh like out of place it it, it had like no reason to to be there whatsoever yeah it's just it's a it's a moment of lecherousness that just sticks out like a sore thumb to me I, i really don't like it at all and it's like you know you say tammy is like a really capable fbi agent but my problem is that we don't really see too much of that you know i mean we we get we get scenes of like her getting coffee for gordon and albert you know what i mean like it's just it's 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 doubly frustrating because mark frost actually i think i mentioned this before but Tammy Preston is like the quote-unquote author of the secret history of Twin Peaks. Right, right. And and that characterization of her, where, by the way, she's known as Tamara Preston, uh, makes her seem like she's this really just like whip-smart, hyper-competent, just knows-her-shit FBI agent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the show, we got Tammy Preston, who maybe she is those things but i don't really feel like we get to see those and i just like i said i just think it was a real missed opportunity here yeah and who knows what the because like you we had mentioned or you had mentioned before she's not an actress so um like uh i can't remember her name but she's like not christabel okay so she's not like a necessarily trained actress so her acting is oftentimes a little bit no like it stands out especially when she's like with you know acting next to david lynch and uh miguel ferreira Mm -hmm. so there's that issue um then there's obviously like like you're saying like the the blatant objectification of her and then like her just not really fitting into that um you know that at least like you're saying we're not being shown all the things that we're supposed to know about her and i don't know if that maybe maybe that's just a crack in this show and maybe a who knows it could be a disagreement on the part of mark frost and david lynch on how to use this character and because i mean there's a lot is there anything of consequence that like couldn't this whole show have sort of happened without tammy uh in it like she doesn't necessarily do anything that gordon and uh albert don't couldn't have done on their own or don't i think they make most of the breakthroughs anyway so who knows maybe that was this was uh yeah the character mark frost came up with that david lynch said okay well i'm gonna i'm gonna use her this way and maybe mark frost's way would have been a lot cooler and who knows yeah she really she really doesn't get to do much i mean probably the most significant scene that she has is the interrogation scene with bill hastings in part nine uh-huh where she's sort of grilling him about Major Briggs and all that stuff, but, you know, they they could have had, 
you know, they could have had Albert do that scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, it's like she's almost like, cause as a, as a character, I kind of like her or I maybe as the idea of a character, I like her, but, um, yeah, she's not like, she's almost shoehorned in there. Um, for, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's confusing because like you're saying, there's such an opportunity to capitalize on, um, like you have this excellent template that, um, maybe it really is. Maybe it's just a matter of execution. Like it just was not executed well on the show and that's just no, you know, <laughs> an imperfection no, of it. Yeah. And then the other part of the equation is the fact that Christabel just isn't an actress and she, she isn't really able to elevate what's there right. on the page but like it's you know, not, it it's, can't be for lack like she's she's got the role not for lack of people auditioning i'm sure uh I, <laughs> knowing what i know about david lynch i i seriously doubt that he auditioned other people for the role of krista or uh of tammy preston that's like krista bell well krista bell is an artist that he has worked with many times in a musical capacity oh, you know right. like they have like they have an entire they made an entire album together you know what i mean okay like gotcha in like two in like 2011 or something so it was probably so, a thing he envisioned I mean, I su- that didn't so i yeah so i suspect that you know david lynch just really likes krista bell and wanted to have her in the show right um so i guess all his friends yeah. can't be laura dern uh yeah yeah unfortunately i just to me to me tammy is one of the very few just like out and out missteps on this show um that 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 bums me out yeah i think it's undebatably a weak point yeah i like i know the the tammy fans are out there but i think i think most people would agree that she is definitely not one of the stronger characters on the show for what it's worth i love her hair color it's fucking sweet. It's like this really cool reddish purple. It's awesome. She she looks great. She definitely looks great. So, like I said, uh, the duality of this scene uh, is that we get actually a really, really great uh, dialogue exchange here between Gordon and Albert. Albert reveals to Gordon that he told somebody claiming to be Philip Jeffries who their undercover informant was in Colombia, and that a week later that informant was killed um Gordon is very disturbed by this he's very disturbed that Albert has kept this information from him he obviously feels pretty betrayed and Lynch just has a really great acting moment here where he just looks dead into Albert's eyes and just says Albert Albert, Albert, just over and over again, just like searching his face, like how, why didn't you tell me about this? Yeah, you know? and and he swallows it too, which I I love. There's this like few seconds moment of silence after all those Alberts, where you can tell he's processing it, and then he moves on from the conversation, which I I thought was just a brilliant acting moment. Um, like you could feel it; it was very palpable. Yeah, like this scene definitely has a weight that I, I seriously doubt David Lynch could have brought to it in 1991 right. or whatever. Yeah. Um, part of it too is I think the effect of having them speaking so close together. And then there is like this, um, 
there's like a frequency in the background from the sound of Gordon Cole turning his hearing aid all the way up. Um, it mm. has this like kind of like very um, not echoey, but almost reverby feel. To, it just has this like it's very close uh, intimacy to it, and you can kind of like feel their bond a little bit, um, which is which I thought was cool. And having seen. Like the, the two actors, like when you watch the original run, they're clearly so much younger looking, um, and they're like their temperament is a lot younger. Um, but the thing that uh, sparked my interest is obviously like he thought or whoever Albert was talking to he thought that it was Judy. I mean, sorry, he thought that it was Philip. I am wondering if it was Judy, like or whoever was also claiming to be Philip Jeffries talking to uh, Agent Cooper. Mm. I, th- I thought it was I thought it was probably just like Mr. C or somebody working for Mr. C, right? Yeah. That he was talking to, yeah. Like yeah. like 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 the vibe I get is probably that Mr. C had a sense that there was somebody undercover um, in South America where we know Mr. C has been in the past, um, and so he he manipulated Albert into um, thinking that. He was working with Philip Jeffries. Gotcha, gotcha. There's just so many, uh, but but I don't, I don't I don't really know that. No, that, that makes just... more sense because there's just yeah. so many instances of people or things, entities claiming to be Philip Jeffries, um, <laughs> that I, I wonder if they're connected. But it would make probably more sense in Twin Peaks fashion for them not to be connected at, at all <laughs> in just mm-hmm. dual purpose, just like all mm-hmm. the Bobbies and Billies and uh, that we get and Mikes. <laughs> Yep. So we do get a couple other pretty memorable dialogue moments here. Gordon says, Albert, I hate to admit this, but I don't understand this situation at all. Which is like an unusually vulnerable moment mm-hmm. from Gordon, I think. Yes. And yeah, and then Albert Albert just says Blue Rose. To which Gordon responds, doesn't get any bluer. Uh, just, yeah, uh, just this scene, just a lot of really memorable dialogue and acting from from Lynch and Ferrer, I think. Yeah, there's um, there's an air to this whole scene that it's almost like a calm before the storm. Uh, like they've just uncovered, you know, the, the very tip of the iceberg and it's about to get a lot stranger from here. Um, and... I, as a viewer, was very relieved to hear Gordon Cole say, I don't understand this situation at all. Because first time around, I had no idea what was happening. Like, yeah. like I yeah. um, you know, vaguely understood that there was Mr. C and he subverted the efforts to go back into the lodge. Uh, that's it. That's basically, all, that's basically all I caught the first time around. Um, mm-hmm. So... I, I, I yeah I I always enjoy when there's like an audience surrogate in the show oh, that's time. just like totally just totally baffled by what's happening. I think uh, it's worth noting for like if you look at Lynch's uh, past work, I guess over the last decade, I think the case that this Twin Peaks season three has the most accessible David Lynch moments maybe ever. Like there's some just clear cut and dry. I mean, besides maybe Twin Peaks season one, uh, seasons one and two, but like season three, like it, it does have a lot of these really just like kind of, it has some pretty cool plot cut and dry mystery stuff 
um, you know, that's like you watch Inland Empire and it's and it's a genius movie. Um, and there's certainly plot to it, but there's just so much subversion in it and it is so abstract. Um, and obviously the return is as well in, but in equal doses, I think it is an exceptionally kind of just normal TV show, which I really, I I really like. Uh, and I, I think maybe I, I was putting it on a pedestal the first time around watching it and like kind of treating everything as if it had this air of, uh, mystery and intrigue and the second time around now I'm actually enjoying it a lot more just just as a show as a as like with with imperfections and and things that I notice now um, which is which is cool it's a different experience than like the spellbinding first time you watch this um, but it, it has its benefits like that to where you guys kind of get to see just really good writing really good directing really good acting I don't know yeah totally yeah, there there are a lot of just purely pleasurable, like you said, accessible television moments mm-hmm. on this on this season. It, it isn't all just like surreal, phantasmagorical mystery. You know, like I don't think you could do like an eighteen-hour Inland Empire. You know what I mean? No. <laughs> like I think I think that the reason that works is because it is like feature film length. You know, admittedly a very long feature film. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I don't think that you could. I don't think that you could play the same game over the course of an entire season of television. Now, doesn't mean I wouldn't like to see David Lynch try that because <laughs> I would. I would definitely be into that. But um, you're right. You're right. This show, for all of its ambiguity, for all of its mystery, there is a lot of just you know just quality acting writing visuals just a lot of just um a lot of just purely purely pleasurable stuff here that i appreciate definitely yeah so um we end once again at the roadhouse where we see au revoir simone playing the song lark sort of a very dramatic electronically tinged track that uh I, I really enjoy, and this is actually the first of two performances that we get from this band. Yeah, I like them. I hadn't heard of them before this. I I really like their. Uh, I don't know. Every, I obviously, like you said, David Lynch has a taste, and there's like the the Julie Cruz Cruz style reverby female vocal. But I I don't know. I loved the um, like the percussion stuff, like the drum machines. Uh, it contextualized that like very like airy, uh, like I thought it was going to be like a ballad, almost like a halftime thing. And then that drum machine comes in and it's really, it's like, Ooh, this is cool. Um, I've been meaning to kind of check out more by this, this group. I showed a couple of my students, this exact video, uh, a couple of girls who are singers and and songwriters and stuff. And I was like, check this out. Uh, and they really liked Mm. it. So I thought it's good stuff. Yeah, I I really enjoy the vocals in particular on this track. I I really I I just I really enjoy um really enjoy them as vocalists. This band has actually been a, a favorite of Lynch for quite a while. He's he's been uh he's been a vocal stan for Over Simone for a number of years. Yeah. And uh yeah, their 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 uh their albums are, are definitely worth checking out. I, I enjoy them quite a bit. That'll be a spot um, and they are, for me. Yeah, and they are—they are just like you said. They're um, 
they're they definitely fit that aesthetic package that lynch just really enjoys yeah. with like yeah and i love uh, their um the temperament that they have on stage there's there's such like a there there can can be such an awkwardness especially in the setting that they were probably in which is you know a, a like the whole room is obviously like a sound studio and like a film studio. So it's, you're not playing in a nightclub and they really did capture that like thousand yard stare from the stage. Um, cool, calm and collected really like, uh, I don't know, just the, it's, it, it is also a striking visual. Uh, just like, like you said, three beautiful women, three keyboards, uh, just mm-hmm. all in a row, just like staring at you, just delivering this really badass song. Um, the roadhouse is like, the inclusion of the roadhouse music scenes is by far one of my favorite aspects of the return. Uh, yeah. it, it has like, it, it is so, it is so perfectly like immortalized the roadhouse in like, just, uh, like, I don't know my like twin peaks fandom. Like it was already like, it's so much more of a, uh, of a, I don't know, a place in, in seasons one and two and in fire walk with me, or, you know, a place where characters go and interact, but, uh, and it still is, but it's it's like the musical side of it now like the fact that it's like a music venue uh and it and it has all these like just the lighting effects and all of the swaying audience members it ending the episodes there really does feel like so perfect and fitting like you like you've gone home like and then the starring kyle mclaughlin always just like i always want to shake my head every time i see it's just like so well uh well executed it waits the perfect amount of time before it rolls the credits. Um, and then even when it does fake you out later on, um, <laughs> it's, uh-huh. it's so satisfying. Uh, Cause we, we made it a, like a, or I used to make it a rule. I was like, don't you fucking, we're not pausing this. We're not touching the mouse. I do not want to know how much time is left in this episode. <laughs> don't you dare. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. So, so those moments were really, uh, really cool for me. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I love the whole structure with the Roadhouse and a different band closing out each episode. Well, s- some bands play more than once, but I just really like the idea that we 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 close out things at the Roadhouse. Um, the first time through, I actually dreaded seeing the Roadhouse because I knew that it meant that the episode was about to end. Right. You know, just seeing the word star in Colin McLaughlin was like a dagger to my heart each and every time because I knew that I was going to have to wait a whole other week. Um, but but now when I revisit it, I, I really am able to just enjoy the uh, the performances. And uh, I actually do listen to the soundtrack quite a bit on Spotify. There There is an official soundtrack with all of the almost all of the Roadhouse performances on there with, with a few exceptions. Like I think um the Eddie Vedder song is not on there. And I think actually, Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think actually, uh, the other Au Revoir Simone song, um, the one that isn't, this one is actually not on there as well. I, I don't know what that's about. Um, it's always bullshit. Yeah, pretty much all there. Yeah. Uh, funny enough. Um, sharp dress man is on there. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Really? Yeah. Why? Yeah. That's sharp dress awesome. man. <laughs> I love yeah. That um, no James Hurley, sadly. It's heartbreaking. Ah. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I really enjoy this. Um, a lot of people have pointed out that it's pretty unlikely that 
this like small northwest town would be able to book these like relatively big name acts oh that's especially when you're talking about like the nine inch nails and whatnot that's where your your um, threshold for realism lies that, yeah like, the booking agent <laughs> yeah, at the exactly. roadhouse yeah so, some people were distracted by that i guess but i think it actually it actually fits somewhat into a reading of the show that i i do kind of subscribe to that a lot of what we're seeing in the roadhouse is not actually happening. Right. Yeah. That, that it's actually like a projection of, um, of Audrey in some way. Um, which man, all, all the, all the connective tissue between the roadhouse and, and Audrey and Charlie and all that stuff is, is really, um, is really, really fascinating. And some of my favorite stuff to think about. Yeah. So. I'm convinced that's a separate thread that we, that is unrelated to the main plot points of the return. That if, if there is anything twin peaks beyond the return, I hope that it, it expands on that. I don't need answers necessarily. Just more of it. Mm-hmm. Give me more, give me more thumb man. Give me more, uh, weird reality bending fourth wall breaking shit. Like that's something the that twin peaks doesn't really do. It doesn't really break the fourth wall at all very often so like the audrey's dance number was actually really unique in that respect yeah i guess the other instance would be um i had another monica bellucci dream yeah <laughs> that one. Oh boy that's a great little god sequence. there's so much great stuff to to look forward to talking about dylan i can't wait it's gonna be great i cannot wait yeah all right well that about does it for part four brings back some memories uh as always you can find us on Twitter at 119podcast. If you have any in-depth thoughts you want to respond to, you can email us at 119podcast at gmail.com. You can find me personally at Strenuous Orb, and you can find Dylan at Piff Dylan, P-I-F-F Dylan. And uh, with that, we'll see you again next time. See you later. Peace out.